Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fear Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we want to welcome you back to uh, the proceedings at large. Uh, we are, it's, as the time of recording, April 1st. This is uh, one of the few times that we were recording, like, pretty much a day before we air it. So, I'm very excited. Yeah, but it's been uh, it's been a week. We've both just, uh, we don't want to go into it, but it's it's just been a whole lot going on for both of us. So, finding time to actually sit down and and chew the usual fat has been something of a challenge oh yeah absolutely but you know we do it because we love it uh chewing fat whether it's on uh on the air here or like i was talking to jim off air about this i just i had my first experience with a tomahawk steak yesterday and it was just a thing of friggin' beauty and uh, yeah they are they really uh, are that that's a slab of meat if you don't if you're somebody who's a carnivore and you are uh looking for a good cut of meat uh, at least once in your life, you got to have that tomahawk steak. So named because it's just, uh, it looks like something you could defend your home with against an intruder. And you probably could, depending on, you know, <laughs> what size of it you get. The fun thing is, is uh, my dog was in hog heaven yesterday because we gave her one of those bones and she just lost her shit. It was absolutely <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Too. So everybody in the family got to win last night, which is great. But, uh kind of celebrating finally got my student loans paid off i don't have to deal with that anymore and you know it's it's only in western culture only in america is is something like that a uh not that i'm diminishing the accomplishment because it really is a big fucking deal but you know it this country is just so uh, i know so many people who i i know a gal uh who i knew a couple years ago that i worked with who um was talking about how she had taken out a uh, a $40,000 student loan, and after seven or eight years of uh, being out of school and working diligently and paying somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 a month on that loan, she had it all the way down to $46,000. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there needs I'm to be some kind of student loan tragic. reform in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's, it's an all-too-common story as... as uh, you know they, they they mortgage your your knowledge in this country and and because everybody to a certain point has bought into the story that you need to go to college if you want to get a good job which is in a lot of cases true but in a lot of cases it isn't we wound up with a nation of overeducated um mortgaged to the gills people who uh who who, who weighed their future and bet against uh, <laughs> being able to to get a job and, and pay that stuff off but you know all, all kudos to you and, and major applause for uh for for passing that uh that life benchmark it it's got to be a, a huge weight <laughs> off your shoulders it is and it's finally starting to sink in which is great and and so kind of like to dovetail it into today's conversation i kind of uh was starting to think about like what would the world have been like had i not gone to film school what would have what would i be like had i not taken that you know four and a half year plunge and, and done uh college because i never really intended to do college i was kind of talked into it by my ex-wife and i just I, it was never on my radar i mean i worked three jobs to put her through school and i yeah. kind of saw the toll that took on her so i was like I, do i really want to do this and so i kind of wonder it's like what would i be like what would my even my personality be you know if i didn't have the film school degree if i didn't you know uh, learn what I learned and know who I knew, and I wouldn't know you. I know that yeah, much. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, you know, I'm not one of those people that necessarily buys into that trite bumper sticker bullshit logic of everything happens for a reason, but, you know, you definitely look at those points in your life where you zig when you could have zagged, and, and you, you go down a path you might not have otherwise, and, and your life turns out a certain way because of that. 
And, and that's, so that kind of brings up, like, like I said, it was kind of a hackneyed way to get into the conversation today. But we wanted to talk about uh, alternate realities, uh, multiversal uh, things. Uh, like if anyone here, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're well versed in, in comic book lore and, and science fiction tropes and things of that nature. And so one of the big things going on right now is, is this multiversal theory. Uh, they've done it with Spider-Man into the multiverse and they're doing it with uh, WandaVision and Dr. Strange. They did it in, in the DCEU with the crisis on infinite earths, uh, run of television right, uh, shows. Right. Uh, and they, and they play around with it in comics all the bloody time uh, there's do. alternate reality versions of everything for every reason and and i kind of wanted to just jump into that pool and kind of discuss what makes these alternate reality uh, stories so compelling obviously they're compelling people keep talking about them people keep doing them but what is it that makes it uh something that's so i don't know compulsory in 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 sci-fi and nerd history and culture and we will in one second. I, I, I'm going to spring a little something on you that I've been thinking about the whole last week before we dive into the meat of that. It's going to be real quick. Okay. Um, but I, in, in, <clears throat> in reference to the cancel culture episode, you, you close that episode by saying, hey, if either one of us ever says anything on this podcast that's controversial or stupid, please call us on it mm-hmm. if we're not being uh, as, as um, in tune with the times as we should be. And I made mention of something uh, during the last episode uh, talking about uh, why superpowers might suck. Mm-hmm. And I brought up a book that I read about 25 years ago called The Fermata by a guy named Nicholson Baker and about how this guy could stop time and, and there were very real-world considerations put on that, like he had to move around so that his oxygen didn't get depleted and he had to walking through water and lift little trenches behind him and right. you know stopping a mugging. These are the things I remember from the book. And I thought, that was kind of a, a fun book that I, that I remembered quite a bit about. I should maybe read that again. So I looked up some reviews of the book from the time, and holy shit, do I need to apologize for even bringing up that book. Because the thrust of the book, which I did not really remember, I remembered because it was germane to the episode and because it was fresh in my mind because I've been thinking about it, uh, what that particular superpower might look like in the real world. What I did not remember was that the protagonist of said book mostly used it to commit sexual assault. Oh Jesus! And that's something that hadn't stuck with me. I remembered what I remembered because it was it was something that I thought was interesting how they explained it within the book. But uh, the reviews I read of the book pretty much denigrated it, even twenty five years ago, for being this guy just using this time stopping power as an excuse to like basically rape and assault women. So that's on me for not remembering that. Um, bad me. I did not uh, want. I was. I brought it up specifically because of the context we were talking about the the superpowers episode but please don't consider that a recommendation Uh, i legitimately did not remember that there was that much um problematic shit going on in that book so you know as we get into alternate realities here my particular alternate reality would be if i could go back and redo that episode i would not have brought up that book so don't read it don't buy it don't give that guy any money uh that (laughs) book is uh is kind of off my list forever now yeah and and i mean that's the best we can do. Like I said, yeah. the the very nature of living in today's modern society and being able to uh, adapt and, and grow and learn is to be able to uh, take responsibility and accountability for the things that you uh, maybe didn't know or have to be educated on and moving forward with new information. And so that's, so that's kind my of, mea culpa. Right. And, and that's absolutely fine. I think uh, no one's going to fault you for that uh, because... Because you you have you've accepted the responsibility of that and you've amended uh, what you've said about it, so 
I remember the cool shit about the book. I didn't remember the stuff that, that really nobody should remember. So I guess maybe in that regard it did its job. But yeah, that's uh, that's not a book that I recommend anybody actually read now that I think about it. Well, I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, I'm sure we have listeners who would appreciate that as well. Uh, but so let's talk about this. Now, we talk about um, yeah. alternate realities. Now, one of the key things that I've always taken away from alternate reality has to come from the science fiction trope of it all. And that's because I'm a, like I've always mentioned, I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. That's, I mean, anybody who's ever spent more than five minutes talking to me knows that I am, knows that I reference it, knows that I, I study it, I watch it repeatedly, religiously. I, I love Star Trek. Saint uh, worships at the altar of Trek, and rightly so. I do. The Great Bird of the Galaxy is my god. All hail to Gene Roddenberry. But here's the thing. They kind of developed this idea, and I think this is where alternate reality became a bit more popularized, was uh, back during the original series run, uh, the episode Mirror Mirror, which brought us face-to-face with an uh, alternate version of uh, the Enterprise crew. And it kind of very tropishly, and I say tropishly because it very much hammers on that one idea that the mirror version of ourselves is literally just that. Like, if, if I could be a good and trustworthy and just individual in the prime timeline, as it were, then the opposite of me would obviously be the opposite of that, right? And so they started that kind of conversation in that episode, but they kind of ended it on a note where there could be, like, a possibility for change and growth and learning uh, through the character of uh, Spock. And uh, so I think that's kind of where the idea of alternate reality stories became popularized. Uh, what about and you? I what think do you it, think? It, it, yeah, that's, that's when it, yeah, that would definitely be the, the, the first, one of the first, if not the first, emergences of the concept in the popular culture, especially in sci-fi, where it's become very popular. Um, and I think to get like super turbo rootsy proto-nerdy for a second, I think Which the, we do. the idea... Which we do. We have to, we, we got to do these, these deep rabbit hole dives sometimes. <laughs> well, really all the time. That's really what it's about. But I think the alternate reality idea in sci-fi and, and fiction at large kind of finds its roots in quantum theory. Now, I know just enough about quantum theory as a layperson who really doesn't study science to know that I don't know shit about quantum theory. But <laughs> quantum theory, at least in part, states that all realities are possible and they're constantly branching at any given time. Um, so, you know, I could leave the house a little while later to go grab some lunch and I could sneeze, you know, and hit a light pole and that could knock out power from my town. Or I could not sneeze and just go get a burger and then come home and bring it home and eat it. Uh, but quantum theory states that both of those things are actually happening and all possible realities are happening at the same time because of the branching nature of how reality is theorized to work. Right. Um, you know... But that's the thing about quantum theory is once you unlock one door and you see there's a dozen doors in, on either side of it, it just becomes this this never-ending fractal of uh, of ricocheting possibilities and, and all realities exist. So some in some universe, there is a reality where Saint didn't go to film school. In some universe, there's a reality where I didn't move to Los Angeles in 2013 to try and pursue a screenwriting career. And there, there are those... You have to, in, in some regard, understand that there are pivotal moments in your life. Well, there's a lot of tiny 
tiny moments over the course of a day, but there, there are a handful. Everybody in their life gets a handful of pivotal moments where you, you have very large decisions to make. And depending on which way you go when you make that decision, uh, the rest of your life looks very different. Right. So thinking about the possibility of what would have happened had I turned left instead of right, had I gone this direction instead of that direction, how different would my life had turned out if I'd never met this person, if I'd never taken that job, if I hadn't gone to school, if I hadn't said F this, I quit and bailed on something that I didn't want to do anymore. All those realities, in theory, exist somewhere in the quantum realm because an alternate version of you made that choice and went down that different road. And that really is the idea upon which all of these alternate universe realities are essentially predicated. And and the thing that, that always bothered me about that concept is, yes, that does seem possible. It's like there is a reality where I didn't go to film school. There is a reality where I did go to film school. But how granular does it get? It's like, is there a reality where I didn't blink just now? Is there a reality where I blinked twice just now? I mean... How super Quantum theory says yes. Jesus. And, you know, the butterfly effect thing says that you blinking just now, or you blinking 30 seconds later, or or that sneeze, or you, you, you got up 30 seconds later to pee and missed an accident, all of those things, um, in, in theory, change the future in, in a thousand uh, palpable ways per microsecond. And, and you know... Uh, this is why I'm it, not a quantum really theorist. To, yeah, you, you get to, into, into thinking about that. Like, you know, had... Um, Gavrilo Princip not killed Archduke Franz Ferdinand and kicked off World War One. then all those people that died in World War One would not have died and maybe different people would have been born you know and, and different people would have gone on to that, that you know like the the, uh, the entire the world activists. history would have just changed yeah the pro-life activists saying well you could be aborting the next Steve Jobs yeah well I could also be aborting the next Adolf Hitler you don't know um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it really does boil down to tiny decisions not just in our personal lives, but also in history that alter the course of reality in profound ways and send humanity down a path that it would not have gone down otherwise had that thing not happened. And I kind of wonder if uh, the reason that it's such a, a, a popular trope in comics and a popular trope in TV and science fiction is because it's so... It gives us a chance to kind of split off and examine a character on a more granular level. Like, let's take your Wolverines, right? Wolverine is who he is because of a certain set of circumstances that brought him to where he is. You know, he wouldn't mm -hmm. be Wolverine if he didn't develop his claws. He wouldn't be Wolverine if he wasn't a mutant born in the 1800s. He wouldn't be Wolverine if he... Uh, didn't sign up for the Weapon X program and did, get that adamantium skeleton injected into his body. Signed up, recruited, kidnapped, whatever you want to say. But... So every choice, and it's just like you and I, every choice that we've made lead us to who we are now. If, like, for instance, for me, if I hadn't uh, moved up here uh, after high school to be with my ex-wife, I wouldn't have known the Pacific Northwest. I wouldn't have gone to college. I wouldn't have met my wife that I'm with now. I wouldn't have my kids. I mean, You wouldn't a, be in the band you're in? You right. and I would never have crossed paths. Right, and it's just this just deep cascade effect. It's like, because you can get super on that level. It's like, well, who the hell would I have been if, right. like, me and her had broken up in high school? And I, I, and I, I think stayed. to some degree, yeah. that, is what, that is what appeals to all of us about these alternate reality stories, is that all of us think back on our lives and we, we realize that we had those pivotal decisions, those those 
very crucial moments in our lives when we made a decision that resulted in us taking a path. And we, we it's fun to think about. It's fun to, to kind of ruminate on and muse over what would have happened if I had done X instead of Y? How different would my life look today? And so that trope, that narrative device uh, being used in a lot of fiction um, tends to be something that all of us can relate to because we all have those moments. We all have those those decisions we made and those roads we went down, and we always wonder what would have happened had we taken the road not traveled. Right, and so uh, there's a couple different avenues I want to explore with this. The first one being uh, one of my absolute favorite comics out of Marvel Comics in uh, uh, my formative years, my high school and middle school years, was a comic called What If. Mm-hmm. And the What If comics... Uh, the original run spanned from 1977 to 1984. Um, and then they had a bit of a resurgence. The second run went uh, from 89 to 98. And then they've they've sporadically hit uh, off and on since then. They'll release new what-if issues like every now and again. Certainly and not- soon to be a Disney Plus series featuring exactly. vocal talents of, of countless actors from the actual existing MCU. Including Chadwick Boseman. I'm excited about yeah, that. Yeah, his last performance as uh, King T'Challa and, and, and Black Panther will be happening on that series. Actually, his, he's not Black Panther. In that series, oh, that's he's right. going to be Star-Lord. Which I'm super... <laughs> see, that's the kind of shit we're talking about. <laughs> but, okay, so I collected this this comic back in the day. and I, And I actually had, back when I was collecting comics... I had the entire run of the original series, which was, like I said, 1977 to 1984. And some of those were a bit harder to find, but, you know, you, you make the effort. You go through, you know, when you're a collector, that's what you do. That's and, what collecting uh, is. Uh, so that's kind of where I focused on it. And then, of course, we have with DC Comics, we have uh, not only do we have the Elseworlds imprint, which is just kind of a place where they put their speculative stories that they don't have any other place for. But we also have uh, their concept of the multiverse, which, again, DC and Marvel both have a multiverse. It's kind of a given concept at this point. But DC did a lot of focusing on that multiverse. And, and they've got a lot of cross-multiversal stories like Crisis on Infinite Earths and mm-hmm. and, and Crisis and Final Crisis. And there all seem to be a crisis. It's just, I don't know. The, the only crisis is they can't come up with a new title for it, but... Uh, they have different versions, and then it's kind of a way to explain and retcon characters in and out of realities. It's just, oh, we pulled them from this reality and this, that, and the other thing. But so we have, and now, of course, we have, like, Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, which was a huge movie yeah. uh, for, for Marvel. I mean, it was, uh, it's arguably, um, whether or not that's in the MCU, because it, uh, it, it deals with characters that haven't been introduced into the actual live action universe or not yet it was still people are really hungry for spider-man content mm-hmm. um, you know uh tom holland has has really brought that character into a level of popularity that not even toby Maguire or, or andrew garfield arguably could could have reached right which again that's another whole rabbit hole we can go down in a couple of minutes about all the rumors that are going to be happening with spider-man 3 and how that dovetails into the multiverse but yeah, uh, that was uh, bringing all the, the disparate versions of Spider-Man that they have cooked up over the years that, that exist in different universes and kind of uh, throwing them all into the same version of Earth and and kind of forcing them to work together mm-hmm. to solve a very crucial problem. It was a very popular film. It was a very well-done film. And uh, it really went a long way toward sort of soft 
introducing the idea of the multiverse into the MCU in a very sideways way that they're definitely going to be exploring a lot more of in the live action films coming up very, very quickly. Right. Post WandaVision and, uh, and actually into Dr. Strange is the multiverse of madness, which I mean, is a little on the nose for the conversation, but uh, they're absolutely going to be delving into that. And, and uh, it's, it's exciting because uh, like I said, what if kind of stories have been my jam for uh, so many years that it's kind of interesting to see these other takes that they're going to go with and, you know, which ones will stick, which ones won't. And so we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, I want to kind of talk about and dive into uh, the idea of we're going to talk about Marvel Comics first, the what if versions and the multiverse in Marvel. And we'll go from there and uh, uh, we'll kind of uh, break down what what if was. That's a weird, weird sentence to say. What what if <laughs> was and uh, what it English. evolved into and uh, kind of where it's going. So stick around. We'll be right back. everybody welcome back and uh, so we are talking about marvel now marvel had like i said a, a series of comics uh from the 77 to 84 and uh then again from 89 to 98 called what if and the concept of this what if comic was uh, based around a character called utal the watcher and utal the watcher uh featured very heavily in the fantastic four comics and and everything else he was the one that warned of the coming of Galactus way back in the day. And, and, uh, they even, uh, there was a fan petition to make, uh, Stan Lee a watcher because Stan... and it was kind of hinted at a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause he pops up in the comics or in all the MCU movies and as different characters. And so yeah. ostensibly they, yeah, they worked him into being one of the watchers. And what the watchers do is each reality has a watcher. And they compare uh, human development based on, I don't know, a certain set number of criteria and whatnot, and just kind of examine, and they're, and they're forbidden to interact. Um, and so our Marvel Comics reality is designated as uh, 616. So the Earth Mar 616. Earth 616. So anything that is in the main comics, Spider-Man doing this, or the Fantastic Four doing that, that is typically referred to as Earth 616. And any deviation based on that afterwards goes to a different reality uh, with a different set of parameters and a different watcher. So, the What If series, they had a whole bunch of... I mean, it's not, it's, you can't even find one to specifically focus on because they were all so disparate and, and strange. And like you said, very granular at times. Uh, and I'm, I'm scrolling through the list trying to find ones that were... Uh, like super duper memorable instead. Like they have issues like what if Conan the Barbarian had walked the earth today? What if Spider-Man had never become a crime fighter? And I believe in that issue. Wasn't the one where what if, I, I don't remember specifically, but I thought what if uh, Peter had been standing a couple inches to the left and the spider had bitten Flash Thompson instead? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah uh, I'm not sure which issue that is. It's it's down here somewhere, but. Uh, 
Because so much of superhero origin stories are based on accidents and incidents and things that happen by complete chance. Uh, you know, what if uh, Matt Murdock had left the house 30 seconds earlier <laughs> the day that he got blinded by, by the accident that, that mm-hmm. took his, his senses and enhanced his others, you know? There's, there's so many different things you can think about because the writers of the era had such a, um, a, a reliance on this chemical blew up or I, you know, met this guy who taught me this skill or I was wandering in the forest and found this this uh, this special token that gave me these powers. What if I had turned left instead of right and never stumbled into my powers and somebody else had? Right. Or and nobody at all. So they got What If Wolverine Had Killed the Hulk, which is based on, of course, Incredible Hulk 181, which a lot of people don't know uh, was kind of the introduction of Wolverine pre-X-Men, pre-anything else. He was basically just a foil for the Hulk. And... Uh, After that point, his character was so popularized that they brought him into the X-Men as a mutant, and and that's where his story really exploded. But that's where he started out his life. And so uh, this story posits, what if Wolverine had killed the Hulk? And, I mean, so what does the Marvel Universe look like without Hulk? You know what I mean? And what does the Marvel Universe look like with Wolverine as... Does Wolverine stay a villain? Does Hulk never uh, get to the point where he, he becomes an Avenger? Right, exactly. Uh, we got other issues like, what if the Fantastic Four had never gained their superpowers? You know, they're, they're the first family of Marvel. They're such influential heroes in the New York crime-fighting scene. What if they just weren't? If their trajectory had been a little bit different and the gamma rays had never hit their ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got, uh, oh, a whole bunch of them. Jesus. Uh, what if the Invisible Girl had died during childbirth? And I particularly remember that episode. Uh, Reed Richards went kind of insane. Uh, because he didn't have Sue there as his moral anchor. So uh, what if the Hulk went berserk? That just seems like a given. I mean, Uh, that happens every other Thursday anyway. (laughs) What if Spider-Man's Uncle Ben had lived and Aunt May was murdered instead? So, I mean, what if Loki had found the hammer of Thor instead of Donald Blake? Which is what that interpretation of Thor became Thor was when... Uh, his father had exiled him to Earth uh, as a human, a crippled human doctor named Donald Blake. Uh, and he didn't become Thor for several years after that, after he mysteriously stumbled across uh, his hammer. It's like, so what happens if Loki had found the hammer? And this is way before Loki ever would have been reimagined as a not your Tom Hiddleston hero, kind of anti-hero. Loki was just a straight up villain back then he was a dick and so (laughs) i mean he's always a dick but sometimes he's a dick that actually serves a good purpose right but this was back when loki was just straight up dickish and and so there was no redeeming qualities to him at that point but they're gonna kind of examine that at least a little bit without necessarily delving too much into it in the new loki series because um again the moratorium on spoilers is up on avengers endgame but the whole time travel plot of going back through time and splunking around to find alternate versions of the infinity stones and then there's a crucial moment where something different happens and loki manages to grab the tesseract and disappear while he's ostensibly in custody and and then that uh sort of sets off an alternate reality that's going to be playing out in the loki series where he's kind of pre-redemption Loki. Loki kind of has a somewhat of a redemption arc through like Thor Ragnarok and some of the other subsequent late uh, films in the Marvel series. Right. But this is like, he gets a hold of, of a power object. He gets a hold of one of the Infinity Stones. Um, 
the one that was in his staff. The Tesseract, and then yeah. He, yeah, the Tesseract. And so then he, and this is before he decides he kind of wants to, not not that Loki would ever be capable of deciding he wants to be completely altruistic and, and become a hero, but it's before he sort of sees the benefit of once in a while doing things that are not necessarily selfish. So right, so to, before to, he get to make up with Thor, before he got to, you know, kind of develop this relationship, Yeah, you know. So we, we go so back, we, we kind of have to rewind force. on that. Yeah, the, the, the full force of a, of a pre-redemption arc, unbridled Loki, who just wants to mess with things and fuck shit up, and he's got, a, he's got the Tesseract in his hot little hands, and that's the premise of the series, based on what happened at the end of Avengers Endgame. Right, and then we got like, I mean, going forward into the next series, you got a whole bunch of stories. Like, what if Spider-Man had never married Mary Jane? What if he'd married Black Cat instead? Uh, what if the new team of X-Men, including Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, had never existed? Uh, what if the Punisher's family had not been killed? Things that change the very <laughs> fundamental nature of not only these characters, but the Marvel Universe as a whole. Yeah. Um, what if Captain America had led an army of super soldiers in World War Two? If uh, uh, the serum had actually gotten out and been able to, to mm-hmm. be used as originally conceived of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, what if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four? What if, uh, oh, let's say, what if Storm had remained a thief and not an X-Man, you know? They're all fun things to think about, and they're all really rich fodder for storytelling that the writers at the time, and and also uh, in subsequent editions of of this particular concept, have just really grabbed the ball and ran with it. Because it gives you an opportunity to really subvert the entire nature of any given character, and as you said, kind of how they fit into the larger universe, and just kind of see what they would have done had their circumstances their motivation their powers or whatever taken a completely different turn than the characters that we have come to know and love in very very familiar ways right and so they killed off wolverine a lot of years i hate to keep picking on wolverine but he's a really good fodder subject for this so uh they killed off wolverine in the marvel comics a number of years ago like encased his him in a solid shell of adamantium like he's dead and they did this in an effort to kind of freshen shit up. And so what they did was they uh, they promoted X-23, his uh, biological clone. Uh, they promoted her to the new Wolverine. But what they also did, which I thought was super interesting, was they brought this character of Old Man Logan out from his alternate reality and into the Marvel 616 universe. So their version of Wolverine was this tortured, grizzled, old veteran of so many different wars and his family had been killed and this, that, and the other thing. So he was this super just angry, bitter, which I mean, saying a lot for Wolverine, but... Um, <laughs> Even angry and bitter by Wolverine standards. Angrier and bitterer. But... Uh, so they got and of to course, ex- that's the version of the character that wound up making it to the screen in the Logan film, which, uh, right, you know, that's, that's a, a different kettle of fish entirely. The Old Man Logan storyline was really, really popular uh, as an alternate reality story of what happened to Wolverine, what happened to his family, what happened to the X-Men, what happened to the world after, you know, these supervillains just kind of took over everything. And it was such a compelling character that they brought that, version of Wolverine back into the main continuity just so they could play around with it and see his reactions to the main continuity basically living his past again 
because apparently the diversion, the split happened in the future. So he's ostensibly living his past again, which changes everything again. So that, I mean, that alters everything anyways. But there's this theory that goes that if you meddle with the past uh, in time travel, uh, your timeline doesn't change. That timeline changes because now you're on a divergent path. Which kind of goes back again to that quantum theory quantum thing, theory. where it just branches off into a different reality, and and that actually was a uh, that's something that to a pretty big extent and to really interesting effect does get touched on and made a central theme of the Endgame time travel subplot, which is explained by Smart Hulk as being yeah you can't necessarily <laughs> change your future you'll just branch off an alternate timeline, right right before he turns Scott Lang into an infant. Which is fantastic, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it kind of brings to mind this 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 idea. Now I know I, I listen to Star Trek podcasts all the time. Uh, Mission Log being, of course, chief among them. My good friend John Champion. I enjoy listening to his podcast at, at all whenever I get a chance. Uh, I've heard him and and Ken, and then now him and Norman kind of wax uh, philosophical about the uh, uh, Mirror Universe episodes. And they're not always exactly 100% positive about what happens in these Mirror Universe episodes, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the Too Long Didn't Read version of it is, how is it they keep finding this one particular universe? Without divergence, without split, without anything else, they just keep finding their way to this one alternate universe. And given it, the nature of the, the, the basis of the uh, the quantum theory idea that there are, depending on whether you blink or I sneeze, that it branches off into an alternate universe, there are a, an absolutely infinite number of alternate universes because there are billions of people and the, the world is what it is and, and every tiny decision creates a different alternate timeline of reality, mm-hmm. then the chances that you would keep stumbling on the same universe are astronomically small. Infinitesimally small. And, and the thing is, is and... And I think it kind of ties back to not necessarily lazy story writing, but convenient story writing. Because having to re-explain an alternate reality based on their particular set of parameters every single time would be very, very uh, tedious, heavy, just too much to do. And you would get no exposition, no story done in the time where you're trying to explain this away. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of the... uh, uh, the reason that we only see this mirror universe in Star Trek. That's the only one we've ever really seen. And throughout all uh, Star Trek series, uh, with I think the exception of Next Gen. I don't think Next Gen ever went to uh, the mirror universe. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But uh, I think the next appearance of it was in Deep Space Nine. Uh, we got to see alternate versions of Worf and Kira and uh, Ben Sisko and all of these people. And... Um, and they, they tapped that well quite a few times. They did it with Enterprise as well towards the end of, I think, season three. And then uh, we got to see it a lot in... Uh, uh, we didn't really see much Mirror Universe stuff in uh, Voyager. They did toy around with concepts akin to it, like other people's point of view type of, of theories on it, like what Voyager was, but never really into the Mirror Universe, I don't think. But and then we had uh, Discovery, which uh, to great effect has uh, once again mined that mirror universe concept, and uh, it gave us an excellent uh, character in uh, Empress Philippa Georgiou, which 
if you haven't watched Discovery, again, spoiler moratorium's over and everything, but uh, I, I highly recommend you know, Star Trek Discovery just for its its uh, single narrative storytelling, and I, I really enjoy it. But uh, it, it always branches back to that one particular reality. And I think what I really liked about What If is that What If kind of, they hit a reality and then they left. And then they hit a reality and maybe they did a two-part, but then they left. But what happens in the main Marvel continuity is we start seeing these characters like Old Man Logan. And we're like, hey, that's a good character. So it's like, oh, he's a good character? You like that character? He's in the main universe now. Uh, and they do that with Spider-Man characters. They do that with, uh, there's a character called Gwenpool from an alternate reality. Yeah. which is So it really gave Marvel the opportunity to test out conceptual characters and if they resonated with fans then they could bring them in and if not they could just wave it off as saying yeah that didn't really happen or it happened in an alternate universe that we don't really necessarily want to explore too deeply but if you like that character then we can see more of that character but you right. know if you don't if it's just something that we tried and and uh, th then it can stay where it is but it, it gives them the opportunity to really test um, new concepts almost test market like yeah. like you're like you're debuting a new burger in cleveland and if the, <laughs> the the cleveland folks like it then you might roll it out to the, the larger uh chain or whatever it is so yeah it, it gives them a chance to uh, to test out new concepts and see if they resonate with fans and then if they do they without have that without being a, yeah, without having to be a hundred percent beholden to them, yeah, and, and they did that kind of in the back in the day with the uh, the Avengers, the X Men, or the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, um, and uh, some more of those peripheral characters, not the X teams, but the the other teams, and they killed them off, or well, they killed them off, quote unquote, and sent them all to a pocket universe, and this was during the time of onslaught. Uh, which was the merger of uh, Magneto's anger and angst and Professor X's repressed emotional baggage and his psychic ability. Created... That guy was never repressed at all. I don't know where they got that from. <laughs> but created this giant psionic being known as, as Onslaught. And in order to defeat Onslaught, they literally threw everyone and everything at him in the kitchen sink. And the end result of that was the Fantastic Four were gone, the Avengers were gone, all these super teams were gone, and the universe was left in chaos. But what they did was they created this thing called Heroes Reborn. And this was this alternate take on these characters, this gritty reboot of all these Avengers characters, and like Tony Stark and, and, and Captain America. And, and we get to see new takes and fresh origins and all of this. And I think that ran for like a year, year and a half of these characters in this alternate reality that they didn't know was an alternate reality before they're just brought back. And then they explained it all away with it just being a pocket universe created by uh, Reed Richards' kid, Franklin. And uh, It really does kind of seem like whenever these major publishing houses uh, notice waning readership or, or things that are a little too scattered over several different titles... They, they tend to uh, bring everybody together in, in a, a Secret Wars or a Crisis in Infinite Earths or a Multiverse and just kind of let them, let them duke it out and then they reboot things, whether it's uh, you know the New 52 or whether it's a, a, an Ultimates timeline like in the Marvel Universe. You, you, it really gives them the opportunity to uh, just sort of clear the decks a little bit and reestablish a new reality and then they can retcon and change things that may have become problematic and a, and a, the burden of an ongoing narrative or, or 
uh, sort of revamp characters that might have attributes that have become tiresome or useless over time. And, mm-hmm. and um, it's their characters, so they have the opportunity at any point to just sort of wipe the slate clean, keep what works, and ditch the things that, uh, that have become archaic or, or not useful anymore. Right, and, and, and I think, uh, I mean, they go through these periodic retcons all the time. I mean, some are more noticeable than others. Uh, DC's New 52 was definitely one of those uh, events that certainly changed the status quo for a number of years. Um, and then Marvel does it like with the, the Secret Wars and the Secret Invasion and, and the Battle Worlds and all that. Um, but... I think you're right. I think it does give them an opportunity to uh, test what's new, test what's fresh, kind of see what hits, what doesn't, what concepts work with old characters, what concepts uh, might be able to be morphed or changed or shifted. And it allows them to play with that. And also, not just that, to see how they work, but to kind of gauge fan reaction to see Mm -hmm. how pissed off fans are going to be if you change something that's beloved, you know, or, or, or whatever. So... And it's about to get real confusing because uh, comic book fans have had to deal with alternate universes and, and branching timelines for, for many, many moons. But because uh, some of the worst kept secrets in, in Marvel is really good about keeping secrets and making people sign NDAs and, and, and forcing them on talk shows to toss out red herrings in order to throw people off the scent of certain things. But unless you're Tom Holland, given the scope. Yeah, given the scope of the upcoming Spider-Man film, Spider-Man 3, which is Tom Holland's uh, next go-around in the tights, there have been rampant rumors and, and speculation about how they're going to be converging the, the different versions of Spider-Man that we've had in the last 20 years and bringing them all into one film. And it's one of those things that they, they make Tom Holland, who is just a spoiler machine whenever he's on a talk show because he's <laughs> he just doesn't think about he, he and mark ruffalo are just both terrible about giving shit away but <laughs> they've made him go out and say no toby Maguire and andrew garfield are definitely not in this film but we all know they're going to be i mean whether or not it's a glorified cameo or whether it becomes a uh, a spider-man into the multiverse sort of thing where they're all swinging webs through some version of manhattan together They've been hinting at this and building to it for a long time, just as when they were, were sort of building to Avengers by introducing the characters of, of Hulk and Iron Man and, and Thor and, and Captain America all in their own sort of discrete films, and then bringing them all together in one giant convergence of superpower teamdom. Uh, Doctor Strange is the, uh, the Sorcerer Supreme, and, and they, he's hinted at the multiverse quite frequently. Um, a lot of people sort of like, even though it turned out to be sort of a fake out, again, if you haven't finished WandaVision, I can't be responsible at this point, to bring <laughs> alternate version Pietro, the X-Men Sony Universe version of Pietro in to sort of fuck with Wanda a little bit. Um, if you really think back, the first instance that I can think of in the MCU of an alternate universe character is at the end of the, the second Spider-Man film when we see J. Jonah Jameson, as portrayed by J.K. Simmons, show up on a, a, a giant LED uh, television jumbotron billboard on the side of a building and sort of blow up Peter Parker's spot a little bit. So that was a very tidy setup to what clearly Feige and company have been planning for a very, very long time with uh, bringing in your, your, your sort of Marvel Universe magicians, your, your Scarlet Witches and your Doctor Stranges. And a, a production on the scope, that just wrapped apparently about a week ago, um, but a production on the scope of Spider-Man 3 is going to have people who want to speculate about who might or might not be in that film and what it might or might not entail, right. looking for any possible detail they can. And the people that are geeky about this stuff, as you know, you and I are, right. they're spelunking through the tiniest clues. Like, somebody found a, 
the stunt coordinator's Instagram, and there was a photo of a stuntman who has done quite a bit of double work for Tobey Maguire in the past, and he was tagged in the Instagram post. So, of course, instantly that's all the nerds saying, oh, Tobey Maguire's version of Peter Parker confirmed in <laughs> Spider-Man 3. Or there was apparently somebody who, who, who put up a, a picture holding a rap gift, which was a T-shirt, and they're holding up the T-shirt, and it was a piece of fabric that was sort of rippled and the, the, the resolution of the photo wasn't great, but somebody was able to go in and look and, and realize that the particular Spider-Man pictured on the shirt happened to be the Andrew Garfield costume from the, the uh, second round of Spider-Man reboots. So it, it's stuff like that. But we, ha we know for a fact they've confirmed Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus. They've confirmed uh, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin in the third Spider-Man film. So it's all and been confirmed. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's rumors that, that Emma Stone will be coming back as Gwen Stacy. Uh, so it's, it just becomes a, a really difficult thing to keep a lid on when you've got that many moving parts. Even if Tom Holland has been you know instructed under pain of death to keep his mouth shut about any potential developments and, and even toss out deliberate red herrings at interviews and press junkets saying, for sure, definitely the other Spider-Men are not going to be in this film. But as, as much as, as comic book fans have really gotten used to the alternate universe and branching reality idea, uh, it's about to come into the MCU in a big way, even if half the rumors turn out to be true, which most of the time more than half of them do, we're going to be looking at a, uh, a pretty messy, ambitious film and introducing concepts into the larger MCU as a whole that are going to come to play out in really bizarre and interesting ways over the next phase of films. Absolutely, and then couple that with the... Uh, again, uh, we mentioned that Disney Plus is doing a uh, a what if series now. It's an animated series uh, that's going to be tackling exactly what we're talking about: these different characters in different situations. And for instance, uh, the one of the episodes that they've shown uh, clips of uh, is uh, uh, Captain America. What if uh, Steve Rogers wasn't Captain America, and in this particular case, uh, it is Peggy Carter as Captain America, or well, Captain Britain. At yeah. that case. And then, you know, Steve Rogers ends up becoming a version of Iron Man. Uh, and then they've got a version of T'Challa from Wakanda becoming Star-Lord, getting picked up and becoming Star-Lord, much like uh, uh, Chris Pratt's character did in the movie, but uh, shifting the focus to what if T'Challa was, was Star-Lord and not, uh, what's his name, Peter Quill. Yeah, sorry, his name spaced me for a second there, but... Ah, space. Yeah, <laughs> gross. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's really kind of an interesting time to be a Marvel fan because they're starting to tackle concepts on the screen and in uh, uh, on the small screen and big screen that are going to be something that, of course, has been a, a, a dyed-in-the-wool touchstone for DC Comics for a very long time. So it's their time to finally get in the ring with it. And I'm kind of excited to see where they go with it. So, But... We're going to take another quick short break here. When we come back, we're going to discuss the other end of that platform, DC Comics and their Elseworlds and Multiverses and New 52s. Oh my, stick around. Welcome back. So now we've discussed Marvel's uh, uh, 
uh, multiverse, the multiverse of madness, the spider-verse, the this, that, and the other thing, the what-ifs. Madness being the operative term, just as much as multiverse is. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely something that if you don't pay attention, it's going to drive you bazonkers trying to sort out all the fine details. And I know it's kind of difficult for a layperson to kind of approach these stories and be like understanding of what's going on because especially like now with uh, mainstream comic culture being what it is you know we have a very specific set of we know what spider-man is to us spider-man is either toby Maguire or it's andrew garfield or now it's uh, uh uh tom holland and and so we're very used to that story that line where robert downey jr is iron man I mean, that's the Iron Man. But I think one of the smartest know. things that Kevin Feige did when, when, when sort of setting up, well, it wasn't necessarily all him, but he's sort of the steward of it now, in setting up the uh, the, the, the MCU was to um, kind of bring in the idea, the same idea that they have with the comics, where it's all interconnected. Any character could show up in any other character's book at any given time. So if mm-hmm. you really have certain characters you want to follow, you kind of, it's that schoolyard pusher idea where we're going to give you the first one free and then you got to buy into the entire ecosystem. And that's what they really did with the movies as much as they did with the comic books, where, like, I remember years ago I bought a, a subscription to the, um, to the Marvel uh, Online Comics Archive right about when Civil War was coming out in the films so that I could read the entire Civil War storyline in comic form. It's and it was something like so 75 hard. books over 12 yeah. or 13 titles. Yeah, and, and I, <laughs> they, they, I remember reading, there was an article, some article on some uh, geek website saying, if you're going to read the, the Civil War books, which we recommend you do, here's the order you want to read them in, not the order in which they were published, but this is a, a semi-chronological as best as we could parse it. So that's the, the order that I read the, the comics in. And it was it was nutso. It was I like I said, it was like something like seventy five or seventy eight titles over thirteen or seventy eight individual comic books over thirteen or fourteen different character titles. Right. So in order to really get the entire story, you had to buy into all of it, and they, that's what they do in a larger sense on the screen. If you miss any one movie, and the mar- that's why they all make such incredible amounts of money because the, the fans have bought so hard into the universe. If you miss Thor Ragnarok. You're not going to understand that particular section of, of Loki's redemption arc, or Thor, if you didn't or, watch or, or uh, Captain and, Marvel, yeah, yeah, you're not going to understand kind of the origin of like Nick Fury and 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 Phil Coulson. You need to really get every movie in that particular series in that universe knocked out, or you're going to miss big overarching chunks of the entire story. You got to catch them all, for sure. And it, it's such a smart business model, but it also makes for really good entertainment. I'm not even going to be cynical about it. Right, and, and, and see, that's kind of, I think, the thing that drove me out of collecting comics, honestly, because uh, I was collecting uh, physical comics for a very long time, and uh, big, giant, overarching storylines uh, like uh, the Civil Wars or your, in the, one of the first ones that I remember, like, super going hard on was, uh, was uh, uh, Superman, the death of Superman back in the day, and then after that it was... Uh, the Nightfall storyline where uh, Batman got his back broken by Bane and we had all the different uh, reactions to that. Or the Gotham City earthquake was another huge storyline. Or the yeah. Black Lantern uh, thing was a huge, huge event. Uh, and like you said, spanning like 100 comics over however many titles. And it's like every one of them seems to be key must-see reading. And that just, right. I mean, and at four bucks a pop, or three bucks a pop. If you don't want to miss big chunks of the story, you're you're spending all your paper route money. 
Hmm. But that's why, like, I, I collected comics to a degree. I never, I never bought individual books or individual actual uh, the, the comics themselves. What I did was I would wait for the trade paperbacks. I'd wait yeah. for yeah, I'd wait for trade paperbacks, and those are the ones because you know it was just it was a much more economical rather than buying like you said four bucks a pop over you know several flimsy magazine style books. I would just save that money and spend twelve or thirteen dollars to get you know eighty bucks worth of comics when they'd finally collect them in the <laughs> trade paperbacks, and that's kind of how I discovered the Elseworlds series. Because I think I was either in junior high or the first part of high school when uh, the Gotham by Gaslight series oh, that was, uh, was, such was a published good one. in a. Yeah, that was the first Elseworlds title that I read, the first DC Universe alternate reality thing that I read. And for the uninitiated, that was a fantastic story where the, the writers at DC envisioned the character of Batman as though he had existed in Victorian England. So it was kind of a, a Jack the Ripper, cobblestones, and, and, and gaslight storyline where he was using almost steampunk-style gadgets, and his costume was very like an overcoat and like a leather mask, and it was just really an interesting take on the character. And that was, for me, my sort of introduction into the, the idea not just of Elseworlds as a general concept, but also alternate realities within uh, sci-fi and comics as being a thing. That was my my uh, first foray into that when when that book dropped when I was when I was uh, a teenager. And for those of you not in the know, Gotham by Gaslight was released in 1989. It actually was the first officially published Elseworlds story, even though it didn't carry the Elseworlds logo. And yeah, Victorian era Batman fights Jack the Ripper. They did yep. come out with a sequel to that one, which was Batman Master of the Future. Uh, so that was good. But, yeah, and, and, and that's a good segue as, as any to get into this. Uh, I think uh, DC started telling these stories without really labeling them. I think yeah. they just kind of understood that people were going to get that Batman didn't exist in Victorian era, you know. Uh, Superman wasn't raised in the Soviet Union. Uh, another very <laughs> popular one was, uh, I mean, there's a list of them here, but uh, one of the very popular ones was Superman Red Sun. And that was uh, where he was, his, instead of crash landing in Smallville, Kansas, his ship crash lands in Soviet Russia, and uh, or in the Ukraine, excuse me. And uh, he becomes a servant of the empire or if you, whatever you want to well, call depending it depending on who you ask ukraine is part of soviet russia <laughs> but i mean they started telling these stories without having an imprint for it so there was no what yeah. if it was just kind of hey wouldn't this be cool if like well batman's a pirate now okay wouldn't it be cool if batman was a pirate <laughs> uh wouldn't it kind of would yeah what if batman was a vampire they did like a three, oh yeah a three series of that uh uh, Batman teams up with Edgar Allan Poe to solve crimes. Uh, I mean, there's really, I mean, there's so many different places you can go with these. And I think DC was more interested and focused on telling a compelling story without necessarily putting a label on it. But when they got to a point where it was like all these different stories had been building up and building up and, and people were getting a little bit confused, they got to go, okay, this is Elseworlds. This is outside of the main continuity. This is not canon. This is just a fun, different take on the characters, so don't get your panties in a bunch. Until the multiverse. Now, they yeah. they toyed around with the multiverse quite a lot in the DC comics, and they used it as specifically as a way to 
uh, retconned things that needed to be cleaned up. Uh, of course, you had your old school Superman back in the day, you know. Uh, if you really want to go old school with Superman, you know, Superman, originally, the original version of, of Superman from the 40s couldn't fly. Yeah, he could only jump that real he, high. He, yeah, because he because Krypton had such a, a higher relative gravity than Earth, that whole leap tall buildings in a single bound thing was a very literal thing. I remember reading super old Superman comics, uh, reprints of them, obviously, like nobody could afford uh, an original action <laughs> comics or anything, but where he was he was just sort of somewhat hilariously jumping very great distances and and leaping tall buildings, and that's where that whole thing came from. It's a bird, it's a plane, but obviously. Uh, a guy in a red suit pogo sticking around uh, a, a major city is going to get ridiculous over time. So they just thought, eh, he's, he's not necessarily bound by Earth's gravity because it's just fly. dumb fly. to have him bouncing around yeah. like a giant Easter bunny. So that was something that got retconned very early. But uh, yeah, when you've got multiple titles that are all considered canon, when you've got multiple writers over several different decades all working on the same character, all of whom have to sort of carry that burden of of the character's history and he or she can do this but not that and if you want to do this that's great but that doesn't work with the narrative because it's not an established thing you do once in a while have to kind of go up go back into your back pages and and tidy up some loose ends and and, and clarify a couple things when you're when you're working with a legacy character on that level and i certainly do understand the burdensome nature of all of that continuity and all those expectations and everything that people have uh, piled upon like batman after a while uh you know the continuity has to reflect to a certain degree everyone's expectations so every now and again i understand it's nice to kind of subvert those expectations and kind of do uh, whatever in the hell they want and just kind of damn the consequences and i think that's what they did with uh the new 52 is they had yet another one of their mysterious crisis events dark side destroys the universe kind of thing and Oh, Batman died at one point or another. Like, he got zapped by the Omega memes. But, oh, Batman can't die because he's Bruce Wayne. And that's kind of our tentpole character. So they brought him back. But then they made a story about how they brought him back, bouncing him along time frames and, and like, Elseworlds-style stories to bring him back to the to the future. Like, he was a caveman or he was in, like, puritanical England and things like that. And so uh this last the one that they did most recently i don't think it's most recent i think they've got another one going right now but uh it was called the new 52 and what that did was it reset everybody they canceled all of their titles and which is a super ballsy move for for a company that has that many years of history they just canceled the entire line across the board yep. started everything over at issue one and they started with Oh, a set core group of their main characters. Of course, you're going to have your Batman. You're going to have your Flash, your Superman, your Wonder Woman. Your household name, Justice League, guys. Right, your Green Lanterns and shit. And and it kind of started, like, for instance, Batman. It started his continuity over as if he'd only been fighting crime for, like, five years. So it gives us this fresh, new take on Batman that isn't weighed down by all of this continuity and all of this history and all of this and and i get what they were going for but at the same time it it failed and the new 52 lasted something like uh two maybe three years they did they went pretty hard on it for a while but the fans were just not fucking having it right i mean you can't have a batman who's here's the thing that always drove me nuts is you can't have a batman that's only been fighting crime for five years and also have a Nightwing. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. Dick Grayson was his ward first. He was his Robin first. So now it just seems like you adopted this like 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid, trained him for like a year, kicked him out. Now you're onto the second Robin. Trained him for a year. He got killed. Now you move on to the next Robin. Train him for a year. When things develop organically over time, they tend to have a little bit more rationality to them, even if they are messy, than if you just sort of try and take, well, we have a popular character that we have to wedge in somehow, so let's do a thing that might make sense but doesn't really if you think about it too hard. All of a sudden you've got a Barbara Gordon Batgirl who was never crippled by the Joker, didn't have that kind of... Uh, emotional baggage that she's carrying around, you know, so we don't have an oracle. We don't have a... I mean, it just got so heavy and so complicated trying to explain away why this didn't exist. Why why do we only have Barry Allen Flash? What happened to Wally West? Or, you know, all these kind of things. It's just... To the point where now DC is actually kind of in trouble uh, as a a going concern. Um, You know, obviously we've got things like the, the Snyder cut of the Justice League movie, which just hit HBO Max like a week or two ago. But and so uh, sort of in the film versions are, you know, are doing fine. But what you wind up with is you sort of wind up with a, a, a universe that is in the same spot where Marvel was in the 90s when they sort of had to sell off all of their film rights just to kind of stay afloat. Right. As, as a publishing house. And that's why that a lot of people don't know is why we wind up with a fragmented universe uh, in, in Marvel because they sold off the film rights to Spider-Man. They sold off the film rights to the X-Men. And that's why we had s- such odd negotiations happening where it was it was a, a real dance of death to get film rights to be able to bring Spider-Man into the Civil War storyline so they could tell that story properly. And even now, uh, Sony and, and Marvel sort of share custody of Spider-Man as a character and they both have to sign off on things and they, they, there's distribution issues and everything else. Uh, but there's been a lot of speculation about how they're going to bring the Fantastic Four or the X-Men, who until now have, have had their films made by other companies and not Marvel, even though they're Marvel characters, because Marvel had to sell off the film rights to stay afloat back in the day, and that's kind of where DC is now, uh, at least in terms of their books go. I, I just read a rumor the other day where Robert Kirkman of the Walking Dead series is actually uh, rumored to be in negotiation to buy DC. Which, if you're somebody who's a fan and you, you look Whoa. back on the rich history of all these characters, yeah, this one guy, this one guy who, who wrote and, and sort of pioneered an upstart book that became a popular uh, video game and television series has, has, is going to be put in a position where he might be able to just buy the entire farm. Kind of reminds me of how pissed off I got a couple years ago when Wizards of the Coast bought all of, of TSR and, and the, the entire Dungeons & Dragons universe. This once mighty thing, this juggernaut, this thing that was decades of legacy and popularity was was sort of just bought up by this scrappy upstart that kind of ate its lunch for a couple of years. Uh, So it's stuff like that, that the DC has arguably not been as successful with integrating their film and TV universes, with with making their... They've had a couple... The first Wonder Wonder Woman movie was great. Uh, the first Shazam movie was really great, but other than that, there have been some serious problems with, with at least the film arm of the DCEU. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- I mean, even something as ambitious as Justice League, the, the the Snyder Cut, has been pretty divisive. I've seen people who are dyed-in-the-wool geeks on Facebook and on social media, which ha- they have very, very divided opinions of that film. I actually haven't seen it yet. I plan to, but I just got to find four hours of my life I can set aside to, to watch a film. Four but, hours that feels like six, because... Holy uh, shit, do they use a lot of slow-mo. 
Yeah, Zach could have been two and a half or three. loves slow-mo. Jesus. So, DC... Take, take uh, a drink every time you see something in slow-mo in that movie, and you'll be fucking dead by halfway through the movie. Congratulations, now you have alcohol poisoning. So, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with, with DC and the DCEU, if things go the way they're going, and uh, and, and Kirkman decides that he needs to... Uh, to buy things, if that's the rumor. Again, it's just a rumor. It's been sort of uh, bandied about in the geek press a little bit here for the last week or two. But what a what a denouement that would be for that entire universe. That that sort of once mighty because even people who aren't geeks, Marvel is okay. Marvel is is really ostensibly for geeks, even though it's huge and the geeks kind of do rule the earth right now. If you were to stop Family Feud style, any any random smattering of people on the street and ask them to name a superhero, chances are they're probably going to name a, a DC superhero. Your Batman, your Superman, your Wonder Woman. These are like the household name heroes that even people who aren't necessarily fans of superhero entertainment are going to know just by rote. Those are the characters that that are that are most prominent arguably in the forefront of the mind of of the general populace who might not be the people that go on the first weekend and see every Marvel movie. Uh, so it's, it's kind of sad to see what's happened to DC. I hope they can pull out of this tailspin, both in the publishing and in the films. But, yeah, th th they're taking a lot of the wrong lessons from Marvel and trying to emulate things that Marvel is doing without understanding why Marvel is doing them. Right. But I really, I have a lot of respect for what DC has done. I have a lot of respect for their history and their legacy. And uh, they were some of the first comics that I read as a kid. So I'm, I'm really hoping they can, uh, they can pull it out and, and not crash and burn as hard as, as they've kind of been doing with some of their decisions lately. Well, the thing that, that uh, the overall gist of the, of the conversation kind of wanted to be around, uh, what is it about these stories that is so compelling? What is it about uh, alternate version Spock or alternate version uh, Ben Sisko? Or what is it about uh, Empress Georgiou in Star Trek that makes us really kind of uh, really delve into these ideas and these characters? What is it about... Gotham by Gaslight or you know this version of Spider-Man that has six arms still you know what is it about these yeah. tales that really just drags us in is it a is it a change from the normal in the everyday is it just uh, to keep it fresh without messing up what we have established like New 52 did I mean what do you think is the overall thrust behind uh, all of these different uh, alternate realities. What, what, do you, what do you think is it that, that brings people to these stories? Well, for me, I think it goes back to something I touched on a little bit earlier at the top of the episode, and that is that all of us, there, there are very, everybody has a different experience in life. Every human has a different experience, but there are certain common things that bind us together that everybody can relate to that, that become, if you talk about them, people nod and say, oh, dear God, yes. And I think one of those things is regret. All of us have made decisions in our lives that wound up kind of blowing up in our faces. We've done shit that didn't work out. And it's become almost kind of a, a trope in, in the popular culture of, uh, here's my memoirs. It's called, oh, that didn't work out like I planned on it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we touched on it earlier with you and I. We, we both have, have made decisions in our lives that wound up having long-reaching consequences. And, and maybe some of them weren't so good where we kind of had a little bit of shit to kind of get our lives back on an even keel. So I think everybody can relate to, you know, man, woman, child, animal, vegetable, and mineral. You can relate to, I did a thing that didn't work. I had the best of intentions or I really took a chance that I thought was going to pan out in a way that was going to be beneficial to me. And it just didn't work out. So if I could go back, if I could go back to this pivotal mo moment in my life, knowing what I know now, and make a hard left instead of a hard right, to zig when I should have zagged, or to zag when I should have zigged, as it were, 
uh, then things might have turned out very differently. And of course, we can't know. They might have turned out worse. Uh, they might have, have gone away that was even less desirable than what actually wound up happening in your life. But that's not the point. The point is that everybody, every person that I've ever spoken to, has a handful of, of pivotal junctures in their existence where if they could go back and do things differently, they would love a chance to do that. So I think this idea of alternate reality, whether or not any of us know anything about quantum physics or anything else, everybody can relate to the idea that things in my life would have been different had I only done X instead of Y. So the idea that that these these alternate universes exist where things turn out differently for these characters that we know, that we relate to, that we love, that we in some cases project ourselves onto, it's a very attractive idea. We all have that 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 desire to go back and do that thing or a series of things or just just make that choice differently because things might have turned out very differently for us. And even though we don't know for sure whether they would have been great or not, we still would love the chance to go back and, and fix some of our biggest regrets. And see, here I thought you would take the crass commercialism angle of that, and which of course is also very, very valid, is if Marvel sees a way to make more Wolverine toys and make sell more Wolverine comics by, by giving him a mohawk or, or doing whatever the hell they're going to do with Wolverine, uh, more power to him. They're going to tap that well. If, if, if they could sell more Batman figures because Batman's a pirate, no, Batman's a caveman, no, Batman's a this, that, or the other thing, they're going to do it. So there is certainly a crass commercial aspect to it. Um, I think maybe I didn't go the, the sellout route a little bit because I kind of forgive Marvel <laughs> and to a larger extent Disney for doing that because Disney notorious for that. Disney is notorious for, you know, we're going to sell a toy. We're going to make a movie that's going to sell a toy. And if you walk into the Disney store or go to the Disney store online, and, and uh, because they're closing their brick-and-mortar locations, which is sad. But if you go into Disney's store, you, any character that you've, you've loved through any Disney film, going back to as long as there were films, you can find figurines. You can find stuffed plushes. You can find T-shirts. You can find anything you want with that character on it. But I forgive them for that because whereas back in the day when I used to watch the, the He-Man uh, cartoons mm -hmm. they would introduce a character just so they could create a figure and sell that figure all of them are, they all have the same transformers basic body with different heads. Yeah. transformers yeah that whole hasbro thing they would oh look here's a new character who's going to show up for two or three episodes but if you want to be a completionist and get all the figurines all the action figures you're going to have to mm -hmm. buy this this piece of shit cast off nobody character who showed up for a couple episodes so that you can recreate that stuff at home that was definitely a lot more cynical i forgive disney and marvel uh to a degree for that um, and, and Star Wars too. Even though Star Wars was the original, uh, to, to my even before E-Man <laughs> and, and GI Joe, Star Wars was the original. Boy, we, you know, uh, this character showed up in the background for ten seconds in the the, the bar scene. Fuck it, make a figure. Buy that character. Yeah. yeah, this they barely have a name. It didn't have any lines. But if you want to, sometimes they sometimes they got their names from the figures. They were never named yes. in the movie. They just named Hammerhead was Hammerhead one that comes and Walrus so, yeah, Man. But I, I, I forgive Disney and Marvel for doing that because, yeah, they have a commercial arm to sell T-shirts, merchandise, and toys. But the films and the entertainment are so good that I, I give them that. I let them have that because it, it wasn't like a reverse-engineered thing like it used to be with He-Man. We're going to throw this character out so you got to buy the action figure. It isn't like that at all. We know you love the movies so much because the movies are so well-crafted. We're going to give you the opportunity to buy the T-shirt if you want it. But we're not doing it in a cynical way. We're not doing it simply to sell merchandise. Um, 
they, they weren't doing it backward, I don't think. Right. Introducing characters just to sell toys. They're, they're having movies, and if you want to buy the stuff, then cool, but that's not their primary product, even though it does make them billions of dollars. So I, I'll, I'll, give, I'll let them get away with it, because it's the, the, the entertainment is just so well done. They're master storytellers, and um, so I'll give them the t-shirts. That makes sense. And like I said, I kind of thought that whole crass commercialism angle the whole time and it's like yeah that's got to be a component of it but it doesn't necessarily I mean as long as they're telling compelling stories DC can make Batman a pirate DC can make Superman a Soviet I mean whatever it, uh, as long as it's not just a cash grab I think I can get away with it and I think that's a large trap that uh, Star Trek falls into a lot of times is they feel like it's more of uh, going back to the well uh, for what because it worked once why can't it work again yeah. as opposed to dc being like hey wouldn't it be cool if uh superman didn't have any friends or <laughs> whatever <laughs> wouldn't it be great if barry allen ruled the universe you know wouldn't it be neat if instead of being batman himself uh bruce wayne just hired a squad of batman to go out in costumes and be like a gang on the streets enforcing the law or in, as he sees it needs to be enforced I'd, which kind of got touched on a little bit in Dark Knight Returns, which is one of my favorite books of all time. But uh, yeah, it's 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 really interesting to kind of to go back to the genesis of these characters and think anything could have happened differently in their back pages. So let's explore the the, the branching timelines of of something different happening that made them into a different person, a different character, and changed their legacy in some fundamental way. So that there were different aspects of who they were that came to the forefront of the character as he or she developed. Right. So I want you guys to tell us who, uh, what you guys think. What's your favorite uh, divergent version of superhero or science fiction or whatever else? I mean, we've got a never-ending well of alternate realities we can tap into. Uh, what's your favorite? Who, who's your favorite character from these? I mean, and why? Uh, hit us up on our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. Uh, you can send it to us in our email, which is fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up at fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, which is the address you want to use if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Know somebody who'd like to be a guest on the show or have an idea for an episode you'd like to listen to us tackle. Absolutely. So, uh, now I've noticed that both of us have beards, so that makes us the alternate reality versions of kevin and jim so i was gonna bring that up I, I don't know are we the evil twins or are we the good twins and if we meet yeah. our doppelgangers who don't have facial hair should we immediately kill them or how does that work i shaved at the beginning of the pandemic i saw what i look like without facial hair he should be killed put out of his misery <laughs> it's terrible i am in total agreement there's a reason why i've had a beard since college right and, very uh, weak nobody, chin <laughs> nobody's ever gonna see me without one right but uh, from us to you, we want to thank you for listening uh, to the Fuel Your Friend and Podcast. And please do remember uh, what I try to tell you, at least in this reality, that everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care.